Hi, I'm Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Wednesday the 11th of November. Well, in today's episode of the podcast, I take a fascinating look at the world of web startups, at those that are shooting for the moon to become the next Google or eBay or PayPal or Skype, and those that are focusing on their business model and the whole issue of funding, ambition and success in the world of uh, web startups, particularly in the UK, in a series of interviews that I did at the excellent TechCrunch London event not so long ago. So uh, lots coming up. Uh, Stay tuned, lots of well-known names and really interesting uh, discussion too. But first, I've got a lot to get through, but first let me say uh, congratulations to the inimitable Uncle Spats for the launch of the Small Biz Pod sales podcast, a new podcast in the uh, Small Biz Pod stable, as it were. And uh, you can find it at smallbizpod.co.uk forward slash sales. And it is dedicated to talking about and interviewing those who have great expertise in sales, who run their own businesses, uh, or who specialise in the area to help all small businesses and startups do that absolutely crucial thing, and that is be good at sales and selling, improve their processes, improve their strategy, improve their technique. So do check that out. It's on iTunes. Just search for Small Biz Pod Sales. Subscribe on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. We love to see Small Biz Pod riding high in the high iTunes charts. So uh, I. I Love it if you could uh, subscribe to smallbizpod.co.uk sales podcast too. That would be great. And I think you'll enjoy it. I had a fantastic interview uh, with Liz Jackson of Great Guns Marketing. And uh, more great interviews coming up very soon. So that aside, I'd like to say a big thank you to the sponsors of Small Biz Pod, XLN Telecom, who are offering fantastic deals on broadband and telecoms and communications specifically dedicated to UK small business customers. Great customer service, great deals. So do check them out. Click on the banners on smallbizpod.co.uk. And I've got a really exciting uh, book this week from Audible. Audible, of course, is the UK's largest, in fact, probably the world's largest provider of uh, downloadable audio books. They've got a great selection of business books, as well as a whole range of others too. So you, as a Small Biz Pod listener, can uh, download one of their audio books for absolutely nothing. All you've got to do is sign up to their trial plan. You don't have to stick with it if you don't want to, so you get to keep get to keep the free book anyway. But this week, I wanted to highlight one of my absolute favourite books on business or by an entrepreneur, and that is called How to Get Rich, and it's by Felix Dennis, the publisher of a whole range of computer magazines and other uh, magazines too, publishing entrepreneur who has an absolutely... Uh, amazing tale, one of the most entertaining business books you'll ever read, and also one of the most insightful. So you can get this book for absolutely nothing by uh, going to uh, Small Biz Pod and clicking on one of the Audible banners, or by going direct to audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot co dot U-K forward slash Small Biz Pod. Sign up for the free trial and download how to Get Rich by Felix Dennis, or indeed any other book in their in their catalogue. Really great book. Here's a little snippet from it to, to whet your appetite. How to Get Rich is not a con job, and it is not being ghostwritten. 
I'm going to write every word myself in this book. Lord, help me. It will contain no jargon or mumbo jumbo, and it's certainly not one of those messianic self-improvement manuals seeking to spawn a cottage industry of audio-visual tapes, DVDs, and dubious hour-long commercials on late-night television. Nor will you have to chant incantations or tie healing crystals round your neck. Let's leave that malarkey to footballers and politicians' wives, shall we? How to get rich sets out to tell you how I did it. How I got rich without the benefit of a college education or a penny of capital. It will expose the many errors I made along the way, which will contribute greatly to the length. Finally, it will suggest ways in which you can avoid such errors and start on getting rich. So there we are, one of my all-time business heroes, Felix Dennis of、uh, Dennis Publishing, and that is one hell of a book. And、uh, if you want to learn about business, the real nitty-gritty, and that. It's it's got all of that stuff in there. It's a fantastically entertaining listen as well, and it's yours for free. You got nothing to lose. Just sign up to、uh, Audible, click on one of the banners, as I said,、um, or go to audible. co. uk forward slash smallbizpod. So I hope you enjoy that, and do if you do listen to it, let me know、uh, what you think because I think it's terrific. But、uh, you could always review it or something. That would be cool. Okay, now let's go straight into the world of web startups, shooting for the moon, and business models. Yes. Okay, there are plenty of businesses that don't get anywhere, but I mean, we're not talking about a market where everybody is a winner, prizes for all. We're talking about a market where one out of ten companies will will succeed and, and nine won't, and and that's particularly the case when you've got people really trying to shoot for the moon. I'm sorry, you know, you, not everybody in the world can be funded by advertising on the net. It just isn't there. So I'm not a great fan of business models which just says advertising. Think of some other ones. Accept the fact that that may not work, and so that's why you've got a good team that can go from it. But you better have something other than just advertising. And it's nice to see a recession in that respect, focusing people's minds.、Uh, there's an argument to be made that you know you build a product, you build scale, then you monetize. That's、mm. the Twitter model.、Mm. In the UK right now, it's very much you build a product, you monetize the product, you scale the product and the monetization in sync. Well, there, there, there's a bunch of us out here who try and get people to focus very much on the fact that getting funded is not the point. Getting liquid is the point. Yes, it's much easier to get funded out here, but most of the deals are ones in which the founders have no hope of ever profiting from it. Four different voices and four different perspectives on the world of web startups and funding, and the situation that they now find themselves in. And I asked Mike Butcher,、uh, the editor of TechCrunch Europe, how he thought the recession had impacted the、uh, web startup world in the UK and beyond. The reality is, is that yes, Britain is in a recession、uh, right now. But the cold climate is when you know a lot of the、um, entrepreneurs who maybe weren't really worth their salt and crawl back into the warmth of the hearth, as it were,、uh, and a lot of people who really do are what I call kind of psycho entrepreneurs, <laughs> the, the the entrepreneur who really. Doesn't care, and they will just go and walk through walls and windows to to achieve what they want to do. And、um, 
I, I wrote a piece in The Guardian recently uh, talking about how in a recession and in a downturn, uh, it was uh, an incredibly good time, funnily enough, to launch a new company because you can look at the chinks in the market. You can look at where competitors can't innovate, where uh, people uh, just have, are out of ideas and find those sort of chinks in the market where um, new, fast-moving, innovative companies can come into the market and do interesting things. And I think then certainly on the Internet, the in, you know, the Internet just is not going away. And we saw this during the last downturn. People said, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to be doing anything. And it just went, kept on powering, powering through. And uh, that's what I was trying to get through with, with this. Even though it's cold out there, it is a recession. We may be looking at a double dip, as they say. Um, we are looking at an opportunity for entrepreneurs to really get out there and do interesting things. My name is Stephen Rennick, and I'm the co-founder of Affect Labs. And you actually won the uh, TechCrunch pitch competition here tonight for an, uh, an interesting idea. Tell us about what that idea is. Yeah, so what we're doing is allowing companies to understand how their brands are perceived online. And to do that, what we've developed is a brand new sentiment classification engine. So what that does is it looks at where companies, uh, where people are talking about brands online. It understands the language there and turns that into, say, an emotional score. So we can basically measure your online emotional score at any given time. And uh, clearly, to do this well requires um, machines to understand mm. language very clearly. And you have an interesting business partner. Tell us about her. Uh, my business partner is um, Jenny Lees. Uh, the technology is based on her PhD research that she was doing at Cambridge University. Um, she's since moved to Edinburgh University, which has a very good um, informatics group. Um, where she's getting a lot of support. And so her PhD was based on natural language processing and she decided to commercialize it and moved up there to do so. Which is, which is you know, when you first hear about your, uh, you know, a sentiment-based, um, uh, what would you call it, sentiment? Sent uh, say a sentiment classification engine. Sentiment classification engine sounds, sounds brilliant, but it also sounds potentially very flaky until you understand <laughs> who's, who's behind it. Yeah. Part of the, the kind of theme for this particular event was uh, startups in a cold climate. How have you managed to fund this startup and how are you going to make money from it? In terms of how we funded it, <clears throat> what you'll find is that if you move out, if you move away from London, people will throw money at you. So the Scottish government is very keen to get startups working in Scotland. So we've had money thrown at us from you know, the likes of uh, Scottish Enterprise who started things off and Nesta. Since then, um, we've been very well, we have a great relationship with um, Channel 4's fund, 4IP. Yeah. Um, they gave us uh, funding to do the FestBuzz project, which I talked about in our pitch here. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of interest from kind of angel investor type people, um, more so from, from US investors, to be honest. Um, but, you know, we've also got some interest in the UK. Um, and where we're going to be making money is, selling to companies that have brands that are talked about online and getting them to pay for the service. Um, you mentioned kind of interest from US angels. Did you go out looking for it or did the profile that you got from you know, other investors open doors so you just sort of sat back and waited for people to come to you? How did that work? Um, the biggest door opener we've had has been Astia, which is a yeah. Yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley um, network for women in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And obviously Jenny, um, a woman in tech entrepreneurship, is relatively rare yeah. um, and so we've, we've had a, a lot of mentor uh, support from Astia we've pitched to Astia events and through their network we've had um, angels that are really interested in getting involved 
yeah, I mean, you've obviously done, you've done FestBuzz, which was kind of measuring sentiment for acts at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, so, you know, the, the, the product's there, it's working, it's functioning. Um, how soon do you plan to be generating revenue, or are you already doing that? Um, we're planning on pot- potentially launching for a particular domain, which I won't go into just now, yeah. but we're talking about maybe getting something for early next year. It depends on if we can get some money pretty soon and we can kind of get you know more developers and ramp things up. Because at the moment, I mean, I'm not a technologist. Jenny's doing all the technical development and yeah. there's a lot that needs to be done. So we're looking for that investment to get a few developers in, designer. We want to have a really great interface to make this easy to use. And uh, yeah, then we're hoping to launch um, a product early next year. You are a, a tech startup with real potential for customers. But you aren't a tech, tech startup which is going for scale, which in the kind of the, the traditional sort of web world, people think we, we won't worry about money, we'll just go for scale. Do you think more UK web startups are going to go for that smaller market money first route? I think what you hear a lot from uh, investors now is that you need to be talking about <clears throat> how you're going to make your revenues. Nobody really cares anymore if you're going to be talking about having x number of page impressions so we're very much with that we, we you know with a sentiment classification engine there's lots of different applications you could make for it but none of them are really directly revenue generating to start so we're targeting the 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 um the niche where we can make money now and then we can start exploring the other applications and you know the likes of Google and Microsoft, etc., they're not stupid. They're going to see what we can, the potential of our engine, and they're going to realize the other applications that we're already thinking of. And mm. you know, that's when they might become interested. How worried are you about, you know, the the competition? I know in the in the pitch you were asked that question, and you said, "Well, we believe we have the you know the the best algorithm." And being first and having a good algorithm is like you know secret sauce. It's a good thing to have. Um, and a lot of web startups don't have secret sauce, mm. so you have that advantage. But would you be happy to sort of sell the secret sauce to somebody else as a as a rapid exit? No, we don't want to make a rapid exit. We, th- we think we can generate considerable value um, from our algorithms. I mean, the, the thing with sentiment classification engine is is that I see it a bit like search engines. It's actually relatively easy to make a basic search engine. And when you actually look at all the search engines out there, there's hundreds of them or thousands. But there's only a couple of which are actually really good. And it depends on the quality of your algorithms. And, you know, that's where I see us coming in. We've got to make sure that people realize that what we're doing isn't some, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, this is good, this is bad thing. It's actually something which is based on hardcore academic research and it's something completely new and is better than everything else that's out there. Stephen Rennick of the Impressive Effects Labs that not only has a kind of business model in the short term nailed down, but also has an, this incredible algorithm that is academically backed and sophisticated that has a potential to take it to a a shoot for the moon level i asked mike butcher whether shooting for the moon was giving way to revenue i think that um the kind of event that we want to run at TechCrunch tends to slightly favor some of the kinds of companies that kind of do want to shoot for the moon uh do want to do something crazy like try and sort out conversations on the internet which is uh, on the face of it, impossible and, you know, an insane idea. And, and of course, there are any number of very, very well-funded, often American companies able to, you know, who already have traction in that marketplace. But there's nothing to say that we can't back uh, or at least certainly um, talk about the entrepreneurs who have their own ideas. And we saw a pitch tonight from umoot.com who are um, 
have their own algorithm for this. And we, we also saw a, uh, a pitch from a com company called Festbuzz who have their own alg algorithm for working out sentiment on Twitter. Now, okay, admittedly, none of these things admit look like business models on the face of it. But uh, this is one of the things about, say, your more um, super sore away um, yeah. internet startup is that they do try, go and get traction as much as possible um, with these crazy ideas that might actually, you know, people just, you know, go for. Um, so we do tend to kind of like those kinds of companies. But of course, I think the other thing that is going on at the moment is there are real business models coming through. Uh, at the moment, there's a, a event going on in London called Seed Camp, and Seed Camp's uh, startups have had about 20 of them, and really they're very much business oriented. You know, lots of revenue models, lots of people saying we've already got revenues even, um, and yes, and absolutely. So the, they, the the winds have shifted. So have the winds shifted enough that people are able to charge online? Rupert Murdoch recently said that they would be charging for access to the Sun and the Times and the Sunday Times online and the other uh, newspapers in the uh, News Corp uh, empire. Can real small startups do the same or is now free so pervasive as the uh, currency of the web that it's impossible? One interesting entrepreneur that pitched at TechCrunch London was Julian Ranger. He has a particularly interesting insight because he's also an angel investor who invests not just in web startups but in a, a wide range of other uh, startup businesses as well. Julian's product uh, in that he, that he pitched was uh, SocialSafe, which is an application that allows people to download and, and save their Facebook profile, and they are already charging for that product. This this particular startup, SocialSafe, you're charging for from the outset. Is anyone using it? Yes, they are. Um, you have to decide whether or not you're going to give away things for free, and so much of the internet is free. But at the end of the day, it's not free you're making a bargain. You can use Facebook for free, but the bargain is they can use your data for targeted advertising or other things. Um, we didn't want to do that. We think data is about your privacy, etc. So we have to make money. We're not a charity. Yeah. Um, nice if we could be. But we only charge £1.99, which is not a lot to save your save your data. There will be a free version as the paid version gets more and more features, then the lighter version will be free. But that's only kind of like a trial. But I think people should accept facts, and most people do. Look at the App Store. People pay 99p, yeah. a pound 99. I mean, I have loads on my um, Apple iPhone yeah. where I pay. So as long as there is a reasonable bargain, paying is not a bad thing. One would anticipate that more and more, more and more web businesses, even if they are, even if they are an app, which to a certain extent, your your yours is an app, um, are going to start charging. Um, in terms of how you view web startups in London, in the UK in particular, do you think business models have been flaky up till now and recession is a good refocuser? Um, I do, actually. The, if you actually look at what an angel investor, when I'm investing in businesses I'm looking for, you actually, first of all, are looking for the team. Because if the CEO and the lead people in the business are good, you know that if the business model needs to change, if there's any crises, you know they'll handle it and nothing goes to plan. So team is number one. But number two is you've got to have some sort of revenue model. I'm sorry, you know, you, not everybody in the world can be funded by advertising on the net. It just isn't there. Google have got 80% of it or some other ridiculous statistic. <laughs> um, so I'm not a great fan of business models which just says advertising. Think of some other ones, except the fact that that may not work 
And so that's why you've got a good team that can go from it. But you better have something other than just advertising. And it's nice to see a recession in that respect, focusing people's minds. Primarily, originally, we created the application because we were worried about people having lost their Facebook profiles and whether that was lost because Facebook closed them down erroneously, lost because they were hacked or lost because actually some are just lost. And therefore, all that valuable data that they've uploaded They've lost forever. And that's a very valuable history. It's a bit like your photo album, but it's an extended photo album. So that's why we created it initially. But in fact, it's more than that. It's the fact that you use Facebook to enrich your data and you want to bring that enrichment back down um, as well as that. And you also use Facebook because it is a history. It is an enhanced photo album. So can you imagine going back to your wall four years Right? You'd be sitting there clicking for the next uh, millennium, probably, <laughs> whereas we can download that information for all time onto your computer. Um, and that's very important. It's a software application runs in your computer so that we don't get to see your data. It's, it's your, you run the program on your computer. It goes to Facebook, downloads your data, and therefore you have it for all time. And then you can reuse it, do whatever you want. Avoid the walled garden problem of the data having gone in and never seeing it again. Yeah. And I thought one of the most interesting things about that whole concept is, of course, that you, you, that's all being done with uh, Facebook's approval. And uh, one uh, early days, or maybe a year ago, there was a lot of uh, speculation that perhaps Facebook was going to sort of keep all your data. If you look at if you look at the kind of terms and conditions on Facebook, it, it, it kind of illegal kind of gives them uh, ownership to a certain extent of that data. How have you found Facebook's attitudes to your proposition? There's no doubt that they would like to keep the data. Um, and in fact, very shortly after we launched, we got exposure on Mashable. And guess what? Within a couple of days, I got a cease and desist from Facebook came mm. through the post. Um, but it was only a cease and desist, interestingly, because we were downloading tagged photographs. So, for example, your friend has put a photograph up, tagged you in it. It seemed reasonable that you should download that. Not his whole, whole album, but just the photograph you were tagged in. But Facebook said, no, 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 you need explicit permission, not implicit permission. So we said, OK, and we removed their logo and a few other minor things that they, they wanted. But interestingly, after a bit of negotiation, because you do have to negotiate uh -huh. with them, um, they said, despite the fact that one of their terms and conditions says you're not allowed to store the data for more than 48 hours or whatever else, they accepted the fact that, and there's a quote, that it was a useful service we're providing for their users. So I don't think they would have done that um, if we hadn't have done the application, yeah. Um, but having done it, they weren't going to remove it. So we are, if you like, authorized, although I couldn't actually put an authorized by Facebook comment yeah, on yeah. it. I have emails yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah. Yeah. But um, we've then gone on and said, OK, so we can download without a shadow of a doubt all the data that you post. And in fact, we're just about to release a version that allows you to download the wall, all your statuses. And we are going to include in there, and we've talked about that with Facebook, comments people have made on your post. Yeah. But we can't take down at the moment other albums that have been shared with you from a third party, wall posts that someone's originated that wasn't you. Yeah. So we've proposed to Facebook a third party authorization process because that's what their terms and conditions say. Yeah. But it also has a little catcher and it says it has to be approved by Facebook and they're not approving that. So we're trying to work with them. But it's this whole issue. It's not just Facebook. It's everybody. There's a lot of sites out there that put your data up into it and you don't realize until you really need it or you've lost it that you can't take it out again. And we're trying to avoid that being a long-term problem. Isn't it perverse with uh, everyone wanting to store their data on the cloud that you're taking it down from the cloud and putting it back on the desktop? Yes, it's um, a complete reverse, if you like, in psychology. But that's because I think people get um, 
sucked into the cloud as the only answer. It isn't. To suggest that you never have it locally is, I call it the San Francisco principle, <laughs> all right? which is so many web apps and everything else are designed for San Francisco where you've got infinite bandwidth, everybody's on the net, They're, every single thing has been geotagged and done whatever else. But let's say you're in uh, Bath, you probably haven't got internet all the time, especially if you're out in the countryside around there. You certainly haven't got high bandwidth. You certainly haven't got, you're not connected all the time. Mm. Um, so surely we actually have it with us first and then the net and then we do everything else. And I think people mustn't forget that unless you have it under your control, it's your data, yeah. right? then it's not really your data and you're going to lose it. Believe it or not, I'm on a, a plush velvet bed <laughs> in Cafe de Paris. We're in the kind of the brothel area. Rock and roll, baby. Yeah, with uh, Will Harris, who, apart from anything else, was on one of the, the first ever podcasts, has been on one of the first ever podcasts, Twit, which will be familiar to lots of people. I certainly knew him on that before I ever met him. You put, a, put on a very interesting presentation earlier about your attitudes to uh, funding, to finding funding for your own startup, which, of course, is uh, Channel Flip. We'll come on to the whole funding debate shortly, but um, just for those who don't know, what does Channel Flip do? So uh, Channel Flip is really it's an online TV channel. We make content with uh, starring the kind of people that you might find on TV, uh, people like David Mitchell from Peep Show, Rufus Hound from Argumental, uh, Robert Llewellyn from Red Dwarf. We make uh, TV programs that are exclusively online, distributed online through the web, through uh, iTunes, and through uh, websites as well. And then we monetize that by uh, generating advertising uh, from from big brand advertisers that want to be associated with those kind of names online. As I know, actually, um, video uh, and producing good quality video online is not a cheap business. And I know that you were you were seeking funding early on, pre-startup. Did you, did you get funding before you started? How did, how did that process go? Ah, I wish. Uh, no, making video, and particularly making uh, a video that's vaguely professional quality, is a very expensive business. Uh, there's a reason that, you know, broadcast is a multi-billion pound industry, and that's because it has to be to pay for uh, the quality of content. But on the web, you can do things cheaper. Uh, you can make things uh, for, for less money when you're not working to broadcast quality. Uh, we didn't raise any money before we started. Uh, that was because, as we swiftly realized, there's no money to be had in the UK for ideas. There is uh, development capital, not risk capital. So we funded the original, uh, the first six months, my, my co-founder and I, we funded it out of our own pockets. Uh, when I say out of our own pockets, I mean out of the pockets of our friends and family yeah. who very generously uh, loaned us the, the 25 grand odd that we needed to get going. Uh, we ran, you know, like that for six months. Uh, and after six months of working hard at it, of scrimping, saving, not paying ourselves anything, but producing a fairly decent product, we were able to attract uh, a little bit of a little bit of investment above that. And that's how we've been able to uh, develop the business over the past uh, 18 months. Did you go, you presumably went and knocked on lots and lots and lots of doors um, with a product to show rather than an idea to show. How many doors did you have to knock on? I can't even count how many doors we had to knock on. Uh, and in the end, it was uh, the door that was closest to home, I suppose, that generated um, the, the win for us. Uh, we went round having, you know, having developed Channel Flip to the point where we had um, three shows which were being watched by fifty thousand people, roughly a month, 
Uh, no celebrity names at that point. It was, uh, you know, unknown talent. Uh, but, you know, with an audience watching, we went round to every VC in London, I'm going to say. Pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, we put plans into every VC. We got a meeting with a couple of them, at which point they said, you know, you're ridiculously early. Come back in two years. Uh, we went to a lot of angels, which we, uh, you know, were introduced to primarily by people we knew um, who, you know, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who made a million in the dot-com boom. Uh, and one of those paid off. In fact, my co-founder had a friend whose business had been funded by a group of angels. Mm. He introduced us to that group of angels. And as seems to be always the case, it's primarily one angel investor, one guy who knows what he's talking about, and uh, 10 of his mates from Harrow who all invest alongside on the basis that he's made them some money in the past. So, you know, one guy puts in 20K, five of his mates put another 10K each, and you've got a round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... uh, the. Tends to be sort of coalitions where uh, angels are concerned. Well, it, it it does tend to be coalitions, partly because um, most British people are you know always slightly ropey about investing double digit amounts of money, uh, certainly not triple digit amounts of money. Yeah. Uh, and also because you know there's a um, it, it is horrendously old old boys network. The angel community certainly certainly in London, you know. Uh, my co-founder went to, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me mentioning this, uh, <laughs> went to Eton. His fray was at Eton with a friend. The guy that funded the friend's company was from Harrow, and it was, you know, five of his Harrow mates. Oh. And so it's it's all horribly, uh, horribly old boys. But, you know, get the job done. You mentioned earlier that um, part of the problem in terms of seeking for startups or indeed for established businesses seeking funding um, from VCs or indeed angels is that there just isn't there just aren't compared to the US as many people who have been through and sold out successful businesses entrepreneurs in the UK who are then wanting to move back into the into the kind of angel funding space that's changing though surely isn't it uh you know i i'm not sure that it is i think my, my sort of point earlier was that in silicon valley there is an angel investing community primarily because there have been you know, five to 10 companies which have uh, made multi-billion dollar exits, whether it's Google or uh, PayPal or or, or those sorts, um, and which have created hundreds of millionaires at a time. You know, Silicon Valley is a relatively small geographical area, which has, you know, uh, I don't have the statistics, but I'd imagine there are more millionaires per square foot in Silicon Valley <laughs> than almost anywhere else. And Britain, the UK, hasn't had enough major exits of companies that are themselves startup or entrepreneurially focused yeah. in order to generate the same number of potential angel investors. Uh, you know, The first 200 people, I'm not sure if this is true, but you know, the first 100 people in at Google uh, we'll all be multimillionaires many times over and we'll put money into startups. That's a few hundred people. But there is no Google in the UK that's made that number of millionaires. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Silicon Valley's done it again and again with Yahoo, Google, PayPal, you know, the PayPal mafia yeah. that seem to fund half of everything in Silicon Valley. And that just doesn't exist in uh, in the UK. There haven't been 
that that many large exits to create that number of, of potential angel funders. But all that money, all those VCs, all those angels, all those hot young startups, are they really all they're cracked up to be? Well, we all know that it's a hot house, a successful breeding ground for large-scale web businesses. But I spoke to Scott Rafer, who has a different perspective and believes that getting funding isn't always the be-all and end-all. Uh, so I'm, you know, startup guy. It's been in the Valley since 92, except for two and a half years where I was living in Holland and France during the internet bust and got a bit used to Europe in, in the process and spend a bunch of time helping companies out that are over there. Well, there, there, there's a bunch of us out here who try and get people to focus very much on the fact that getting funded is not the point. Getting liquid is the point. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it's much easier to get funded out here, but most of the deals are ones in which the founders have no hope of ever profiting from it. So, you know, that that's not a not a helpful increment. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if, if your if your goal is to design your own job and work on the financial, you know, to the financial benefit of some insurance companies for a few years, right? You know, that is certainly much easier out here. <laughs> yeah. To the extent that your goal is to build something that you find to be important software wise or what have you. Yeah. Um, and actually have the main economic benefit go to you, your family and your employees. Valley isn't necessarily any better. But in terms of uh, in terms of providing an environment that allows some, albeit still um, a, a tiny minority, to scale rapidly and to and to become very significant businesses, with it, where you know founders, albeit they may not be there at the end, are, are at least going to have um, a potentially large payday. You premised your comment in exactly the kinds of ways that. I don't care about, which is to say for the tiny minority, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I only care about as many people as I can getting a little rich, like the, the off the scale Zuckerbergs of the world. Yeah. uh, Not my, I don't care. Not my concern at all. Sure. All that is relatively concentrated out here, but those six deals a decade are, I'm completely apathetic. And they're freaks, aren't they? (laughs) <laughs> um sure yeah you're you're, you're likely to get a two-headed dog yeah yeah exactly um so you're i mean in in to a certain extent i mean uh, there's an awful lot of kind of hype about the you know the next big thing and you know uh you know the it, that that seems to be the the particularly from this side of the pond it seems to be you know where people look and they say well we've never had any big exits we've never had any ma- built any big web companies but we forget we well, yes, yeah, Skype, yeah, um, and you know, um, perhaps Bebo, perhaps Last FM. So there are there are examples, and Spotify maybe. Um, but um, the, it's interesting to hear someone in the valley talking about real businesses on the web, i.e., businesses that generate revenue and businesses that create jobs. Right, and 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 benefit primarily the founders and early employees. You know, I, I'm certainly involved in some venture back stuff, this and that. But you know, over time, I'm trying to gradually and and, and gently remove it from my life uh, and only focus on the things where the founders come first, right? And it's entirely appropriate once you've taken money from a VC that you work on behalf of your shareholders, and you know, once you've signed the contract, you've signed the contract. Yeah, behave ethically, no, no doubt. But to the extent that you can 
take longer to do that and work things out better on your behalf, you know, before all that complexity and additional overhead arrives, uh, the better off the founding team is. And, you know, th this is the only thing I, I think is, you know, interesting to work towards is to, you know, cause a few thousand people to be worth an extra million or two a piece, not, yeah. you know, one or two guys to be worth a billion. Yeah. But don't you need the liquidity you need you need that money don't you to 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 grow a business on the web rapidly enough to make it a success right but but people are raising all this capital before they have something to grow yeah right i have no problem that once you have the sales process you know defined nicely and repeatable and you know what it is you're growing very quickly by all means go get institutional capital the issue is, and this is exactly what we faced at Lookery, I, I'm able to raise money, right? This is not my personal problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, both Kieran in general, right? It would have been, you know, not very difficult to raise the money to wait the market out for two years. But if so, none of my current, you know, shareholders would have done very well. They would have all gotten crushed down. Yeah. The issue isn't that capital's bad. The issue's that in institutional capital is bad for development stage companies. When you know what can grow in great detail, then by all means, go get the money. But when you're still figuring it all out, and it's not just the product, it's also the, the you know, sales process. When, you, when you're figuring any of these things out or don't have a complete management team and anything of that sort, don't do it because you're not going to profit from it. An interesting counterpoint there from Scott Rafer, whose uh, most recent startup, uh, Lookery uh, has, as TechCrunch might put it, entered the Deadpool, but uh, he dealt with that. He's dealt with that very rationally, and as a serial entrepreneur with successful ventures under his belt and a, a veteran of Silicon Valley, he's got a very a, a deep inside perspective and an alternative perspective as well, and one that might be quite striking to some of those in the UK who look to the US uh, and the web startup scene there as kind of like the, the holy grail. And I talked to uh, Will Harris, who I spoke to earlier about the difference in perception between um, scaling a business on the web rapidly and going for revenue first. You could particularly in this kind of web space, technology space, doesn't the UK have an issue in terms of reach, in terms of scale? just in terms of the number of users, uh, you know, okay, you know, scale across Europe, yes, yeah, scale across Europe, but you've then got to translate everything, yes. you've then got to brand in different markets. Uh, if you're going to move into, you know, breaking, breaking the US for a web startup or a web TV company is like, uh, like, I don't know, it's like uh, the Beatles trying to break America. It happens about once every 25 years. Yes, that is 100% uh, true. The US is, you know, pretty much the biggest single commercial market certainly for web companies uh in the world and if you can break the us you can build a company that's worth many many billions of dollars as you know mark zuckerberg will tell you if you can break britain if you can you know absolutely nail britain you've got a company that's maybe worth you know a couple of hundred million or similar yeah the, the scale is just not the same there are you know ultimately uh most web startups most web companies are um you know valued on a value you know a price per user yeah. in the us that price per user metric can be you know however many millions of people there are in the states over here the price per user is you know only times by 
you know, 60 million odd. Yeah. And so that's invariably going to be a smaller number. Now, uh, the, the European Union makes it relatively simple uh, corporately to do business across Europe. But of course, you know, Europe is, is, is many, many markets segregated yeah. by language. Yeah. Um, all of which put together are not quite as big as the US, which is a single market, single language. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're very right to say that the primary reason there have been no Google level exits out of Britain is because there's no uh, US sized population. Yeah. And to your point, though, about um, you, you kind of, um, I know it was slightly tongue in cheek, but <laughs> you kind of uh, moaned about the level of sort of per capita, per capita investment by VCs and angels in the, in the UK as compared to VCs and angels in the US. But it strikes me that that is a direct symptom of the relative risk and the relative opportunity for web startups in the UK as compared to web startups in the US because of the market size. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, um, uh, that's a very strong argument that, uh, you know, I think the figures they had was, you know, uh, VC investment is roughly $98 per head in the US uh, compared to roughly $24 per head in the UK. And you can argue that, you know, the four times differential is made up for by the fact that, um, you know, that there is much more scale in the US to be had, therefore much greater opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, what, what I would, I suppose, how I would caveat that is that as was pointed out to me by a, a US-based VC this evening, it's very easy to categorize the US as, the, as, as a big kind of homogeneous, uh, homogeneous? Homogeneous <laughs> unit uh, th that makes investing very easy. But in fact... Um, any startup outside Silicon Valley probably has the same opinion as a startup yeah. uh, in England. You know, he, he he very much pointed out to me that um, it's very easy to moan about how hard it is to get investment in uh, Britain. It's just as hard to get investment in North Carolina. Mm. The only way in which America makes it easier is because if you go to Silicon Valley, there's more money per square foot than anywhere else in the in the world, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um. As a result, I guess lots of people are focusing much more on revenue. What are your, how are your revenue projections? I mean, in, in you, arguably, media companies, which kind of yours is, are suffering most, even online at, at this time. Uh, how how are you planning? How are you coping with that? Yeah, it's really, um, you know, revenue is a really important question because uh, in the current climate, revenue is everything. And VCs and even angel investors aren't necessarily looking really excitedly at funding businesses that are going to be loss making for the next, you know, few few years. It's all about how quickly can you get to revenue. Uh, and so there's a real focus on that uh, over here. So for us, revenue has had to move from being something we deal with once we've built out an amazing content portfolio to something we deal with right now. Yeah. Uh, so, you Which know, is a good thing. yeah, it is. And it isn't, it makes, um, makes you focus very much on monetization rather than market penetration and scale. And that makes the process of scale slower. Uh, there's an argument to be made that, you know, you build a product, you build scale, then you monetize. That's mm. the Twitter model mm. in the UK right now. It's very much, you build a product, you monetize the product. You scale the product and the monetization in sync. And that is undoubtedly 
a slower process for entrepreneurs. It yeah. means exciting exits are five years away rather than two years away. Uh, uh, and and that is a, and so that is an issue. You can argue that it's a better way to build more stable companies, and that um, you know I I don't know the statistics, but I imagine that uh, the number of VC funded companies out of the UK in the last twelve months that will still be here in two years' time will be much greater than the number of VC funded companies out of Silicon Valley over the last three or four years which, you know, uh, many of which I'm sure will go bust because they focus on scale rather than revenue. Mm. And so, you know, revenue leads to stability, but it also can hamper the ability to, qu- to, to effectively scale. So scaling, so shooting for the moon may well be that much harder in terms of finding the cash, finding the investors over here in the UK and, and, and potentially in Europe too, although there are some notable exceptions to the rule. But... What about the smaller scale web companies or the, the, the early stage investments from angel investors? Again, how has the recession impacted them? And who better to talk to than uh, Julian Ranger from Social Safe, who we spoke to earlier, who is not only uh, the, the head of a, a, a web startup, but is also uh, an angel investor. How has the recession affected him? If you imagine that an angel investor has 100 units of wealth, he probably only has 10 units or maybe 15 units of his total wealth that he's going to use as an angel investor. So let's call it 15 out of 100. But now you've had a recession and you've lost 20 units of wealth off his total wealth portfolio. So maybe he's not going to invest at all. But then you've got higher taxes coming through. And what actually happens is it all comes off that investable portion. Mm. So you'll see angel investors having 15 units of wealth now only being able to invest three. And this is why life gets harder. Um, and when we worry, talk about taxing the wealthy and all the rest of it, we forget that actually most of that money does filter back into the system. And if we take it away to the government, is the government going to invest it in small businesses? I don't think so. So now there's obviously a natural uh, balance between these things. Yeah. But certainly for me as an angel investor, I have to be very cautious at the moment because I have been impacted and my available pot yeah. diminishes. Yeah. So you get a bit more picky. Yeah. I've heard it said by VCs and, and some angels I've spoken to recently that if you're a new team with a new startup looking for funding right now, you might as well forget it. No, that I don't agree. Good idea, good team, um, good things are always still going to be funded. I've funded new stuff. Um, I've, I mean, I've literally invested in one. It's not in the tech community. It's an army backpack. Um, and it's a one-man guy. You know, he's he's come, and uh, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's a mad marine. Um, he's completely <laughs> But he's developed a great product. He's worked like Sting. He's gone and slept on the floor in China to get this product made. Um, you know, he's excited the MODs here and abroad and various things and what he's done. And sure, he's got a good product. Of course, you're, gonna, you're going to invest in him. So there you are. It's not all doom and gloom. There is hope. The right idea still attracts the money. And of course, you pick your poison. Uh, There's nothing wrong with shooting for the moon and there is nothing wrong with wanting to build a business like Scott Rafer or uh, some of those other businesses that we spoke to who want to build revenue first. So pick your poison. Okay, well, all that said and done, just a reminder, do go and uh, sign up to that Audible offer and download the fantastic Felix Dennis's 
uh, book, How to Get Rich. Really very amusing, really very entertaining and tremendously useful if you're an entrepreneur. So head over to uh, smallbizpod.co.uk, click on one of the Audible banners and grab your free audiobook. Other than that, it's just time for my obligatory piece of electronica. And uh, this week it's a track by uh, Drake and it's called Newest Leaf with thanks to, of course, Iota Promenade. Thank you. 